Good evening. It is good to see each of you. It's good to have our young people back that were skiing this weekend. We appreciate so much our young people. We appreciate so much those that went with them and made this weekend possible, especially uh, we uh, recognize the Perrys. They put so much into this, and, and uh, we appreciate all their uh, leadership in making this weekend happen, and what a blessing that it is. Also, it's exciting to think about our Bible Class Emphasis Day that's a couple of weeks away, and do be thinking about who you can invite to your Bible class. So many of us really enjoy our Bible classes, uh, not just the study of God's Word, which is of great importance, but also the fact that we love the people that's in that room. And think of the example that those people could be on your neighbor. Think how it would bless your, the life of your neighbor if they could study from God's Word. We have the opportunity to invite them. Can't make them do it. They might say no. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we do our part in inviting a co-worker, inviting a neighbor, invite a friend. Let's be thinking and let's be praying about who we can invite over the next couple of weeks. And let's encourage someone to come to a Bible class that we greatly benefit from because no doubt they too could benefit from that. We're looking at relationships this month. If you wouldn't be opening your Bibles to Ephesians, the sixth chapter... As we consider relationships, we continue asking the question, are you safe? Not just are you safe in the relationship, but are you safe to be in a relationship with? As we think about parents this morning and whether or not that they are a blessing to the life of their children by literally offering a blessing, painting a picture of what life could be, and then reinforcing that with positive training and words. It's a very important part to think about the relationship of family. And tonight we look at that from the other spectrum. We look at it from the aspect of the children. What is it that children can bring to a relationship? There's a lot of joy in the life of a parent when they hold that baby that's that newborn for the very first time. I love visiting with you fathers when you have just have held your first baby, newborn, And almost every time you can predict what will be said, they'll say, I can't explain it. There's nothing else like it. Truly, Psalms 127 teaches us children are a gift from God, a heritage of the Lord. And that's so true. And young people tonight, we want to challenge you to realize not only are you such a blessing in our lives but you also carry such a great responsibility. When children develop into adolescence, they're going through changes. Do you realize children that are in adolescence this year, they're not the same person they were last year. They have a different body. They have thoughts that they haven't really had those exact thoughts before. Oftentimes they have desires where they say, wow, that's strange, I didn't have that desire a year ago. They have new experiences. They're going into new grades, new opportunities. In the midst of what sometimes can be troubling, sometimes it can be confusing. It's literally a search for identity. And that's not a negative thing. It's just a fact of life. As, as you grow and as you change and as you develop and as you mature, you're simply trying to figure out who am I now and who am I to become? And in the midst of all that confusion, I want to challenge you, young people. That's when God designed it, that you still need guidance. The way God designed it, that's when you need to lean heavily 
upon the boundaries that your parents would place in your life. That's a time that you need to lean heavily upon the Lord, as in all times of life, but especially at that time where there's so much confusion. And when we hear the phrase, rebellious teenager, that's usually a teenager that's in search of their identity, that has decided that their parents don't know best about who they are. That's a sales job from Satan. If you have good parents, if you have godly parents, I want to urge you teenagers especially, trust in God and trust in them, and you will be able to find the identity that God created you to find. But if you think you're going to find that identity in the world, and if you think you're going to find that acceptance in the world, by turning your back on the people that love you the most and a God that loves you more than anyone, you've made a terrible mistake. So what can we say as we go to the Scriptures? What is it that God would say to us that, that would give a sense of direction to young people? You know, there are many principles that we need to learn from the Scriptures, but if we want to look at some direct commands, it's really pretty simple. It doesn't get more direct and and more exact than Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Look in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, as we read verse 1, 2, and 3. He says, children, subject to whom he's addressing, the action he's longing for is, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Now think about this simple command. It's a two-part command. He says, children, this is what I expect of you. Number one, obey your parents. Number two, honor your parents. So let's think about this idea of obedience. The word obey in the very uh, simple form, in its root, the meaning means to hear. It means to listen attentively. Now, by implication, that means that you conform to what you listen to. And so usually when we refer to the word obedience, we're referring to what's implied. You're going to carry out. But you know, it's good for us to stop and look at this whole context here of this word. What is it that the Lord wants us to do? The Lord wants children first to listen. Now, I know we all listen differently. But when you're staring off in space as if you could care less about what the parent's saying, it's hard to convince the parent that you're listening. And when you never give eye contact when being spoken to, it's hard to convince the parent that you're listening. I would imagine the same is true for the people, at, the teachers at school that you should be obeying uh, for principals or maybe your uh, employer. The fact is this. If we're really going to obey, we ought to take listening seriously. We ought to be a good listener. We ought to be a careful listener. And then once we fully understood what is expected of us, then we have the other half of this concept of obedience to carry out. Now that I understand what is to be done, let me do it. I don't know how to make that any simpler. I don't know how we could talk about anything more important in the life of a child in relationship to the parent. 
to listen and to obey. Now, young people, you've heard me in, in times past talk in parenting sermons about the foolishness of parents to ask their children several times to do something. Now, that's a lesson for parents. But here's a responsibility God gives you. If you have parents that's kind of botched up the job and they're accustomed to asking you something several times, I want you to think about what God's will is. God's will is for you to obey the first time. That's God's will. Now, you might have parents that don't expect God's will in this. Just calling it like it is. But God's will is for you as a Christian child to listen the first time it's said and to carry it out the first time it's said. God's will also is you don't play the what-if game. What if I don't get caught? What if the consequences aren't that bad? God's expectation of us is this simple. I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. God asked me to obey my parents. This is right, he says. I'm going to do what's right. What are the consequences? Have you ever stopped to think about that? What are the consequences of disobeying parents? As you're turning Romans, the first chapter, be turning Romans, the first chapter, I couldn't help but uh, think about with, you know, it's almost a little humorous, but it's too serious to be humorous. You know, there, there's a lot that's said, and, and one of us uh, corresponded recently by email in this, and we both agreed we don't like this statement. I, it really rubs me the wrong way to talk about something and say, now, is that a salvation issue? I think if God's spoken on it, it's probably a salvation issue, all right? And so, it's, it's interesting, though, to, to talk about this and say, all right, obeying parents, is that a salvation issue? Well, let's see what the Lord says. When we read in Romans, the first chapter, we, he has told the decline that was taking place in the lives of these individuals as a God that they knew they were leaving. And they stopped glorifying and etc. They moved to idolatry. They eventually moved to homosexuality. And then he starts concluding this with a general statement. Look in verse 28, if you will. And we're picking back up this far so that you can see the setting of this passage. And he says in Romans 1 and 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy. By the way, undiscerning means unintelligent. I think it's interesting what follows disobedient to parents. They're unintelligent, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Now, what's the conclusion of all this list of individuals that live this kind of life? The conclusion is this, according to God, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Our society doesn't put disobedience to parents in that list. But to live for the Lord is of a spiritual nature. It's a higher calling. It's different from the carnal nature. 
most people wouldn't say, I can't believe that you put fornication or adultery or murder in the same list of disobedient to parents. And I think about it. If the authority in your life right now is your parents and you won't obey them, and after you leave the house, the greater authority in your life is still God, if you wouldn't obey the authority in your life at home, why would you then obey authority in your life afterwards? You see, we learn subjection. We learn submission. We learn obedience first at home. And then it blesses us and it prospers us in every other aspect of our life. As we think about this, let's go ahead and think about the idea of of honor. What does it mean to honor? He said, to honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And and the definition of honor is to prize or fix uh, a value upon. In, In other words, by implication, it deals with reverence. It deals with value. And so, this is interesting. He's literally saying, I want you to obey them. I want you to listen and carry out what you're saying. And I also want you to appreciate them while you're doing it. I want you to honor them while you're doing it. That's a challenge, isn't it? Whenever your parents ask you to do something that really, there's not one bit of you that wants to do it. It's a challenge to say, God, because I love you, I'm going to obey you. And so I'm going to obey my parents. I'm going to listen carefully. I'm going to do it. And then I'm going to treat them with respect and honor as I do it. The only reason you do that is because of your relationship with God. And so the question is, are we willing to honor our parents? Now, honoring goes far beyond the length of time that we're under the same roof. As I thought about this, I thought of various stories and various passages. I'd like for us to take just a few minutes now and and turn to three or four different passages and think, what does it mean to dishonor our parents or dishonor those that are older than us or dishonor others that are in authority? And what does it mean to honor them? And hopefully in this, there'll be some application that's true for you when when you're living at home, but there's also application for everyone here that has a parent alive. Let's think about, though, especially as uh, we're younger. Let's go back to 2 Kings, the second chapter. 2 Kings, the second chapter, there's a little story tucked away about Elisha. That as you're reading through about Elisha's life, you kind of look and say, wow, where did that story come from? But it teaches a powerful lesson about the way God approaches respect and honor and reverence to those that are older than us. And, and again, I want to emphasize to you, we're studying about things that most in our American culture today uh, don't hold in high regard. And so like we mentioned uh, a few weeks ago, we're going to have to decide if we're going to stand with God on this or if we're just going to stand with the American culture on this because we're about to talk about some things that the American culture does not agree with this, does not uphold this. And I hope that all of us will agree with this. How important is respect? Let's read about in Elisha in verse 23. We'll pick up the middle of this paragraph. And then he went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up the road, some youths came from the city... And mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. So he turned around and he looked on them and he pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And by the way, the curse here he's talking about is the prophets of God were to call out disobedience and recognize it and declare that it would be punished. And so this isn't some vengeful act where I'm going to get back at you. This was simply calling out, if you will, wickedness. 
To give disrespect to someone that was older in the sight of God has always been a wicked measure, a wicked action. And so let's see what happens here. So he turned around and looked at them, pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord, and two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. If you grew up in the Shannon household, and you made fun of someone that was older, you wrote this passage off many times. God looked seriously at disrespecting those that have lived a long life. We're losing that as a society and we're losing something valuable. We're losing appreciation for experience and wisdom. We're losing appreciation for some of the greatest people alive. God never intended for it to be that way. God intended for us to honor our parents, our grandparents, to honor those in our church family that have lived and paved the way before us and are still very much a part of it even to this day. It's hard for us to imagine that God would allow two female bears to come out and maul, and most scholars agree it probably meant to take the lives of these young people. It's like a gang situation, if you will. Forty-two young guys out creating problems. Decided to leave the city, go out in the wilderness. What do they see? They see an innocent guy traveling along. Let's take advantage of him. There's only one of him. There's 42 of us. He's old. We're young. We can have a great time with this guy. No. God had the last word to stay that day. And on the end of time, God will have the last word also. God expects us to have great respect for those that are older. If you will, look with me in Matthew, the 15th chapter, as we think about even once we are adult children. Once we are adult children, what's our responsibility to be? In Matthew, the 15th chapter, he's talking to the Pharisees here, and he catches them in a very uh, contradictory aspect of their tradition, contrary to the will of God. In Matthew, the 15th chapter, let's begin reading at 3, 4, 5, and 6 as we think about honor. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and mother. And he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. Now that's how serious it was under the old law. It was, a, it was worthy of the, the execution. He says, But you say, Whoever says to his father and mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. He calls them hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you. You see what was happening here? Here were individuals that their parents were aging. And and keep in mind, this was the days before Social Security and and pension plans and retirement. And so when the older generation retired or or became uh, to a point in life that they couldn't work, it fell upon the younger generation to support them in every way that they needed. Well, these individuals decided that they would come up with a little tradition in the name of their religion, of all things. i tell you what. I gave my gift to God. I'm sorry, Mom and Dad, I won't be able to help you now. I'm sorry you have need of food. But God understands because I've already given God the gift that I was going to give to you. And Jesus looks at them and says, 
you hypocrites. It's in this same setting that he says, I won't even accept your worship. How is it that someone could come into the place of worship and all the acts that are done there seem appropriate, but as they leave, God says, I won't even accept what you've done here. How is it? When we lack honor to our mother and father, God doesn't accept any honor that we might be trying to give to Him. That's how serious it is, whether we're youth in our homes with our parents, or if we're adult children that still have our parents living. I need to understand this real simple. I can't dishonor my parents and honor God in the same life, the same person. And so it is, we have a challenge, all of us, if we have living parents, to make sure that in every way we conduct ourselves, in every way we support them, it is such that God would consider our obedience and honor. Let's look back to Leviticus, the 19th chapter. I know we don't live under the old law, but... It helps us to get an understanding of how God has viewed this. And I want to emphasize that again. I'm not reading this to you where, where someone can walk out and say, Oh, that, that's a law of God. I just want us to see the principle that God's had in place all along. But it's interesting, as you read through Leviticus, the 19th chapter, you start reading what is considered miscellaneous laws that God gave the children of Israel. And as you read through the 19th chapter, it just seems to bounce all over our lives about things we ought to do. And so we just pick out verse 32, because there's not really a rhyme or reason through these various verses. But notice 32, and think about how God expects us to honor. He says, you shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. Notice how he tacks on the end. Fear your God. I am the Lord. Lord, what is it that's so important that He says, I want you to remember who I am. I'm giving you this command. Remember who I am. And He says, here's what it is. How are you going to treat those that are aging? As Christians, we see the value that is high in those that are aging. Now, the world may ignore or lack appreciation but not God's children. God's children are given a godly wisdom and godly instruction. Well, God, what would you expect under the old law? And under the old law, if you're sitting in a room and someone older, the gray head, walks in, you stand up just because they walked in the room. What? Yeah. Respect. Are the days, yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, are they over? Please say they're not. They may not be an American tradition any longer, but that kind of respect for those that are older ought to always be the way of godly people. Whatever it takes to show the older ones that we love them, that we value them, that we respect them. 
That is the task that God, and it's a wonderful task, that God has given us since the beginning of time. It hasn't changed. I hope you still have your grandparents. I'm not saying to you that you have to stand up when they walk in the room. But I think God's Word is pretty clear that we honor them. Whatever we have to do to honor them is what we need to be about. Wouldn't it be awesome if because the way we interact with the older generation, Proverbs 20 and 29 could be said. Notice Proverbs 20 and 29. The glory of a young men is their strength. And the splendor of old men is their gray head. Wouldn't it be awesome if us as a church family at Mount Juliet, wouldn't it be awesome if your own individual physical family, that individuals would look forward to growing old because they would say, oh, they're so good to us as we age. The splendor is to grow old. The splendor is to have that gray hair. That's when people really value me. That's why God's designed it. And it's a wonderful, wonderful design. Now, put this beside, if you will, let's do see a New Testament teaching. 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter. And 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter, as we think about it, and we don't have a slide on the one I'm about to read, and then we're going to read this one that's on the screen. But notice in 1 Timothy, the fifth chapter, verse 1, what he does say about the older uh, men. He says, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers. So see, there again, we see how we as younger ones are to build up those that are older. But now as we think about honor, what is it that God considers honor as we think about another example of what we as children owe to parents? Notice as we begin reading verse 3, honor, there's our word, honor widows who are really widows. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home, and to repay their parents. For this is good and acceptable before God. You see what's being taught here is the beginning of a paragraph where he's saying the church has a responsibility to honor, which means literally to financially support their widows that do not have a physical family to take care of them. And so that's why he says in verse 3, honor widows who are really widows. And then in verse 4 he says, but if any widow has children... So you see, the idea is the church is to do this honoring unless there are children. A grown child has a mother that's a widow. Where is the honor to begin? Where's the piety to begin? The church isn't to be asked at that point. It's to begin at home with those children, with those grandchildren. And the word piety here is translated, the, the original word, if it's talking about us showing this to a person, it's translated piety. But if it's translated or if it's in relation to us and our relationship to God, that same word is always translated worship. That's how important this word is. It's the idea of giving honor to if we're giving honor to God, it's worship. And if it's our, our widow mother, it's piety. Why in the world would I do that? Well, surely we don't have to ask that. But let's just say someone did ask that. 
Let's just say someone said, why should I have to to take out of my weekly check to support my aging mother? I can't imagine anybody asking that, but let's say someone would. The answer is so simple. To repay your parent. It's that simple. God says, just stop and think about all that she's done for you. Think about everything that she did when you were a baby. You couldn't care for yourself. You couldn't protect yourself. You couldn't provide for yourself. You couldn't nourish yourself. You couldn't cleanse yourself. Think of everything she did. Now, as she's growing older, those abilities that she once had are now declining. This is just an opportunity for you to repay that. Honor. Repay and let it first be learned at home. Did you notice at the end of verse 4 there, he says it's good. And he brings it back around again to that relationship to God. It's acceptable before God. Now the reverse would be true too. If we don't do it, it's not acceptable to God. As we conclude this lesson, I'd like for you to turn with me. Proverbs, the 30th chapter. We've looked at a lot of things that deal with even us as adult children. We've looked at several things that deal with while we're in the home with our parents. And before we read this, I want to ask you again, are you safe in the relationship? Young people, there is no way for me to express in a way that you can understand the heartbreak it is when a child rebels against the family. There's, there's just not exactly any tears like that. There's not exactly any kind of heartbreak like that. Not only is it bad for you, but it hurts the family so much. So again, I want to ask you, are your parents safe with a relationship with you? Or are you going to wreck that relationship? Are you going to hurt that relationship? Are you going to create pain? Now, the wonderful thing is that when you honor your parents and you obey your parents, it's a blessing. There's just no joy like that either. It's hard to express how wonderful that is. And so the beauty is we literally have an opportunity to be a blessing to our family or we have an opportunity to be a curse to our family. The great man of wisdom, before he closes out the book of Proverbs, he writes about a generation. And I hope that this would never describe us but it's interesting to me that he writes this about a generation, but this is a generation that has always been on the earth. Every young generation has had some that have felt this way. As we read this, let's make sure that this is none of us. We're in Proverbs, the 30th chapter, and we're going to begin reading at verse 11. There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. That's accepting immorality. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. That's arrogance. There is a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. That's a calloused heart that preys off those that are oppressed. But you notice that first verse. That's why we read this. The generation 
instead of being a blessing, would curse their father and would not bless their mother. What does it mean to curse their father? But we might immediately think this is talking about cursings verbally at someone. That's probably not what is meant here. He's talking about living a life of disobedience that becomes a curse. I won't bless the mother in the sense of being one that obeys and honors. Tonight, as we're about to sing a song of invitation, it do well for all of us to consider the fact that we should be the children of God. And if we're the children of God, to show our love for God, John 14 and 15 is to obey Him. You see, what God asks of our children in our homes is very similar to what He asks of us. To trust and obey. To honor our Father. Tonight, if you've never been baptized in Christ for the mission of sins, as a believer that's willing to repent of sins and confess before men that Jesus is the Son of God, why not become a daughter or a son of God tonight? Maybe you've become a child of God and somewhere along the way you've you failed to stay close to your Father. you failed to obey Him. you failed to honor Him. Tonight is a wonderful time to come back home. It's a wonderful time to put our life back in the place of the relationship it ought to be. Are you safe? Are you safe in your relationship with God? Are you safe in your relationship with your family? Let's be a blessing, not a curse.